Uh, so this morning, we are um, both talking about in the message and um, sort of addressing as we light our Advent wreath uh, the idea of fulfillment. If you have a Bible, you could turn to Matthew chapter 1. And, um, you know, as we've been going through this Advent season, we've been talking about some less maybe traditional um, concepts um, uh, than what you would normally think of and associate with an Advent lighting. Uh, our first week we talked about prophecy, the second week we talked about promise, and this week we are talking about fulfillment, and we're looking towards the fulfillment and what it means for Jesus to be a fulfillment of all things. So um, we're going to read the passage from this mor- for this morning, and then, um, and then we will pray, and then we'll dive into the words. So um, if you have a Bible and it's open to Matthew chapter 1, you can read along with us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived is her, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Let this be a season of fulfillment as we reflect on all of the ways that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment above all things. Let's pray. Father, we are, again, so grateful for a season that we could take an extra amount of time out, Lord, to uh, focus on just what a tremendous gift your son was and is to us. Uh, The struggle, as always, is appreciating that gift properly amidst all the other things that we are excited about right now. So we pray that you would expand our view of you and that you would change our hearts to where we can see significance of your son even more than we could when we walked in here this morning lord it's in your name that we pray amen so we've been talking about these different things about prophecy and about promise and what how those things relate to the messiah who was to come Uh, and this morning as we talk about fulfillment we talk about how jesus himself was ultimately the fulfillment, the culmination of so many things. You see, with God's people, um, he always would provide ways for, uh, for other, he would provide these sort of offices or these jobs or these roles that people would have um, amongst the Israelites. And that office, that job performed a specific task. And the goal of it was to help lead the people on God's behalf. And when the Messiah would come, he would ultimately perfectly fulfill each and every one of these in a way that a person never could. Christ was the fulfillment first as a prophet. 
He came to fulfill the prophecies that were foretold, that were spoken. Uh, A prophet is one who speaks truth of God's word, who reminds God's people, again, of who he is and who they are in him, and who speaks ahead, even to the future, saying, you know what will happen if you stay on this road. You know what will happen if you turn to him. Jesus is the prophet. 400 years had gone by. Uh, with no word from, from a prophet, from God's people. And so when Jesus shows back up and says, I speak um, on behalf of God, and they would say, he speaks as one who has authority. They recognize what this guy's saying has authority. In fact, he seems to uh, speak words that, uh, that line up with a lot of what had said, what had been said before. Jesus was ultimately the perfect and ultimate prophet. He's the one who's sort of a guide. He says, Here's where we go. Here's what we should do. I'm going to show you the way as a prophet. And he fulfills that perfectly. The other thing that Jesus is, is he's a priest. He fulfills the role of a priest. A priest is somebody that God, uh, he gave that to his people and said, this person's going to be a bridge between you and me. They're going to, they're going to help you communicate with, worship with, be, be in my presence. You're going to do it all through them. So you're going to give sacrifices through them. You're going to worship me through them. And I'm going, to, I'm going to come and I'm going to forgive your sins. And I'm going to be present with you through the things that they do. They're a bridge. They're basically the path. The path to me in both ways, right? So the only way to me, I'm not, I'm not like a mountain with a million different paths up it that lead all to the same place. There's one path and there's one way. And this priest's job is to show you what that way is, uh, to, to provide the path The prophet is the guide who kind of points you to it. Jesus is the perfect priest. He comes, and it says that he is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one that we worship God through the power of. We we say, like, we, we pray in his name, we worship in his name, and we do all of that stuff because Jesus came, and he perfectly fulfilled this role of a priest in a way that all the other priests would sometimes, would fail in one way or another. Some priests were good, some priests were not so good. Jesus was perfect. And then Jesus is ultimately the king as well. He comes and he ushers in this kingdom and he says, there's a kingdom coming. And like any king, if he's a good king, that means that you want to be a part of his kingdom. You trust him. You feel secure under his leadership and his authority. You say it's better inside than outside of this place. And so Jesus, the people wanted a king from God. They wanted him to give them an earthly king, even when God said to them, that's not really a good thing for you. They said, well, everybody else has one, so we should have one too right? And, uh, and God says, fine, I'll give you one. And, but it's always an imperfect king because any king is going to have their own agenda. They want, they want money. They want power. They want their nation to win, even at the cost of the individual. Um, but Jesus is the perfect king. So what's good for his kingdom is good for you. It is what's best for you as a part of that kingdom. And he comes in and he is that king. The last thing that Jesus is, is he is, and the Bible says this, uses this language, and it so perfectly describes him. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is a way for us to see what it is to live out trust in God. Because every person is sinful, every person's corrupt, we find out. And so, uh, and so really, you can't look around you at anybody else and say, I should be like them, I should be like them, because we all fail at some point. We all have our own motives, we're all messed up. Jesus is perfect, and so he is able to be the example. We look at him and we go, that's how I should act, that's how I should be. Just like a, a word is the way that you communicate an idea or a thought, Jesus, the word, the Bible says, calls him the word, 
He is the way that God has communicated to us. So how do, we, how do we get a sense of the presence of God? The physical presence of God is through Jesus. So he gives us that example that we can follow. This is why in youth ministry, if you ever zone out like in youth group, and then you check back in real quick, and the youth pastor's like, what, what are we talking about? Or what's, what are we supposed to do? The answer, just when in doubt, Say Jesus, right? Because he's pretty much everything, right? He's everything. Uh, Jesus, pray, read the Bible. Okay, say those three things. You're probably going to be pretty safe, right? Uh, uh, The scripture sums this up so well in 2 Corinthians. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We talked about this passage last week. We talked about promises. But this is really more than just the promises of God. It's like everything is yes through Jesus. Jesus is yes for everything. Like I said, he's the easy answer if you're not sure what we're talking about. So when Jesus comes and fulfills all of these things that God's people have been looking to, The answer is here. The Savior is here. The prophet is here. God's voice is speaking once again after so many years of nothing. The priest is here once again to not be like our corrupted priests, but to be like a good one. The king is here. We live and we're conquered by the, we live within the Roman Empire. We we don't like the leadership that we're forced to live under. That's not what we would choose. This king, Jesus, he comes. We finally have one that we could totally submit to and trust, right? But, There's a problem, and it is that the people don't actually seem to want Jesus. In fact, this is one of the reasons the Bible seems so different when you look at the Old and New Testament, because literally the good guys in the Old Testament seem to be the bad guys in the New Testament, and you're like, wait, these are the ones that are supposed to anticipate him coming, and now really they don't seem to care at all or they're upset about it. This is the truth. When we talk about fulfillment, we we can't ignore this obvious thing, which is that fulfillment doesn't actually seem to be what people wanted. In fact, it seems like more than anything, sometimes that's what Jesus being around revealed. What it showed was almost more than anything that people didn't want these things as much as they should or as much as they said that they did, right? Right? For all of the talk of the Israelites and the Jewish people, we want a prophet. We want a king. We want somebody who can can be this perfect bridge to God. Really, they reject Jesus, which is so strange that there's so much buildup and hype and anticipation, but the very group of people that are supposed to be excited about him are the most upset, it seems, and all the people that seem to be the most open to him and they get transformed by him are most of them not the ones that were anticipating that he would come, the ones that would get so excited. And because of this, you have this kind of shift in tone in the Bible. This is like any movie that you watch, that it starts out one way, and then it changes to some different kind of movie. And most of the time, we don't like that, right? You're like, what, what is this? I came to see a funny movie. This is like, this is like a like a sad, serious movie. Why, why, you know? Or, oh, I came to see a family movie, and this is like a terrifying movie. Okay, what's the deal with that, right? And I wanted to see an action movie. I, I paid money to watch stuff blow up. 
Uh, I didn't pay money to watch these people fall in love, right? Uh, we hate it when that happens. A lot of times, it's like a marketing thing, too. It's just marketed a certain way, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to that. Uh, I have noticed that there's a little bit of a connection between as we get older, this tends to happen to us more. I just have had conversations with my own grandparents where they're like, you know, I went to see this movie, and I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, I thought it was, you know, I'll never forget my grandma going to see this movie called Sin City because she thought it was about Vegas and, like, just an old Vegas film, you know? I was like, yikes, you know? And they walked out of that one pretty, pretty early on. It is not about Vegas. Either way, don't see it. Um, anyway. <laughs> we really don't like the shift in tone. I, I tend to like that, not just because I like things other people don't like, but because... Or, I like, or not because I like it when people are unhappy, but because I think that life tends to be that way, right? Life doesn't fit into a certain genre. And so a lot of times uh, you're, you feel like all of the, the memorable experiences in your life are a mix of a lot of different kinds of things. And, and I think that tends to be the way it goes. This is what you see in the Bible. And, you, and you're like, why, if the fulfillment has come, does it feel like the story is changing so much, the movie's changing so much? The idea of anticipation, of wanting fulfillment, is nothing that we are strangers to. Uh, we know what it is to anticipate things, right? We, people line up outside of Apple stores waiting for something to come out, right? That's now become more of a, almost a, a joke and a, and, a, and a point of mockery than it's still a thing that we act like is a big deal, right? The people that are going to line up for the next thing that comes out. This last week, our kids' uh, elementary school had a speaker come and talk about not giving up and his illustration for it was yo-yos. And let me tell you, it is yo-yo-like mania at their school right now. The next day, when Ellie was walking the kids in their class, there was a line from the office window all the way down the hall and around a corner to the kindergarten classroom of kids with their money to buy their yo-yos. All of a sudden, yo-yos, right? They can't use yo-yos. Like, none of them know what to do with this thing. Doesn't matter, right? Uh, and so they, 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 that's not unusual, right? The anticipation of that, right? You see a movie preview, it looks really good. Really want to see it, can't wait to see it. Anticipation, maybe it'll let me down. Maybe it won't. I was at a doctor's office this week and they had like a, their calendar on the wall and they had written out one letter for each day, Disneyland, right? Like, they plan their trip around the number of days, I guess, about the number of letters in Disneyland, you know, or, or something, because they just, they blocked it off, the whole thing. And I was like, Disneyland, huh? And she's like, yeah, I just got back. And I was like, oh, well, that stinks for me, because now you're depressed and you're sad. Because she was, because she was like, it was amazing, right? You have something like that coming up, like, you're thinking about it the week before, you're thinking about it days before, you're thinking about it months before sometimes, Right? The anticipation and the fulfillment of that thing that's going to be good, that I know will be good. A lot of people feel this way about having babies. Really excited. So much anticipation. Going to have a baby. It's going to be amazing, right? The thing about babies is they kind of, they kind of, it's kind of the bait and switch, you know, because <laughs> right away, not tons of payoff unless you get like the perfect baby, right? Uh, so right away, yeah, yeah, clearly, perfect baby. Um, Tons of, like, not a lot of payoff right away. In fact, the really cool stuff seems to kind of come a little bit later, and so you kind of have to get through the period where you're like, okay, I don't know if this is going to be good at all, and then you get to the point where maybe some of that cool stuff happens. But there's so much anticipation, and then it's just hard. It's just difficult, right? 
the only time that I was, I was thinking about when, this, when the anticipation and the, when the fulfillment seems to be better uh, consistently than the anticipation. And I think of like, uh, like when people are dating. Right? When you like somebody and you're really into them, you're infatuated with them, you're in love with them, and, and you're looking forward to the time that you get to see them again, and then you see them and it's so great. And then you're excited again about the next time you get to see them and then it's so great, right? But the thing about relationships is that they will start that way, and then if we don't put a lot of effort into them continually, they'll eventually just become this normal, boring part of life, right? Where the fulfillment isn't there anymore, even though we went into it expecting constant fulfillment. I sometimes suspect that this, this feeling of building up and wanting and then being a little bit disappointed when Jesus shows up to be the answer, I cannot help but wonder, and this might just be me, if there's something about the way that we celebrate the birth of Jesus that sets us up for this. And I may be the only one, but I've been thinking about it with my own kids. Uh, you know, some of the presents, the presents have been purchased, and and my son is getting something really great this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something very risky. I'm going to actually tell you guys what my son's getting for Christmas. And I'm going to trust that you guys won't let the cat out of the bag. It's not literally a cat. Uh, that you won't let the cat out of the bag. Um, that'd be funny if it was a cat in a bag. Um, my daughter's allergic. We got rid of our cat. But now you're all wondering where the cat went. Oh. One day, I'll tell you, maybe. So I'm going to trust you guys, okay? If he finds out, then no more stories about my kids. That's it. That's your punishment. If you don't like stories about my kids, then this is your way to end them once and for all, I guess, is go tell him. Okay. So, and I also want to stress, uh, his grandparents purchased this for him, okay? This is not us, okay? So before you go thinking, whoa, how much are we paying this guy, right? No, no, no. If I had my way, it'd be like an orange in a stocking, okay? Okay. the, uh, so, so, so his grandparents got him this. So this is Voltron, the legendary defender. And I think Mike's sitting in the back going, oh, this is going to make my life miserable, right? All of his friend's parents are like, thanks, Ed. Um, look at this thing. Look at this. This is ridiculous, okay? This is what it looks like, okay? He's going to open this on Christmas morning. Yeah, they make it so you can see it. He got, he got all of them. She got all of them, right? Right? He's going, to be, he's going to be the worst version of himself after he gets this. He's going to be great for like 30 seconds, and then it'll be like, and now we're living with a horrible person. Um, and I, yes, I apologize for all of you whose kids are friends with him because he's not going to share it, and your kids are going to just like be so miserable, so don't even let him come over to my house. So, so she gets him this. Ellie showed it to me when it came from Amazon. She's like... I am so jealous of our son that he gets to... The thing I was saying about the payoff with kids, yeah... I'm not going to lie. I'm a little excited about this, right? I'll be playing with it while he's in bed. But I can't help but wonder if, you know, as we sit there with them on Christmas morning and we, like, open up the Bible and we talk about Jesus, the fulfillment. You know, we do the last day of our Advent calendar that we've been doing and we talk about how Jesus is really the fulfillment and the answer for everything. When we sit there and we, we say, you know, you have these needs, you have these ways in your life that, that you are completely depraved and in need of something. And so let us reflect as a family on how Jesus is the answer for all of your uh, 
for everything. He is the answer for everything. Uh, don't, don't look at that Voltron Legendary Defender thing over there that we just opened. We'll get to it eventually. Don't worry about it, right? Let's get back to this, okay? So Jesus is the one who really fulfills all the things that we need. Does anybody remember why we need Jesus and what he fulfills? Right? Don't worry about the thing, right? Uh, so, so this is a little bit of what it is like when we talk about the fulfillment that Jesus brings and what it's like to be a people who uh, don't actually, it turns out, seem to want that fulfillment as much as we just want other things in our life. And so because of that, when he shows up, that's not what the people ultimately wanted. Do you want Jesus or do you want Voltron, the legendary defender? And, and we're not talking like battle skills, anything like that. That's not, I could do a whole thing on that, but I won't be that guy. This is no different from the way that God's people have been up until this point. But you might wonder, like, how could it come so far that when the Messiah actually shows up, that there is all this anticipation that they don't seem to want him and want it? And the answer is that this is basically what happens when God leaves people to themselves, when he's silent for 400 years, and they begin to decide uh, what they think it looks like to worship God well, and what they think the truth of God should be, and uh, what they think they need in terms of a ruler to lead them and for a kingdom that they should be a part of, right? That when God leaves them to that, that they become a group of people who, when the Messiah does show up, that by then... Their desires for other things have so changed their definition of fulfillment that when it really does come, that they say, this is the last thing that we want. You see this, though, long before God stops speaking to his people. One of the best examples of it is when they ask him for a king. We read about this in 1 Samuel. God had given them Samuel, this judge, and they, 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 they come to him and they say, we want something else. And this is what they say. We read that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said this to Samuel. Obey my voice, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them? So the people come to God and they say, God, what we need is essentially what other people have. I mean, that's, that's all it amounts to, is they say, we want a king like them. We want this thing like they have. And they basically, they decide what they need based on nothing more than what everybody else seems to need. 
what everybody else is finding fulfillment in. You see God's people wanting the same thing. And so what they say to him is they say, we want a king who is, who is our king. And so who is their king? It ends up being Saul. It ends up being someone who is physically very impressive, who is very charismatic in his personality and a strong leader that they, that they are willing to follow because of all those traits. Their king looks like everyone else's king. I do have to say, I like where this goes because God ends up picking a redheaded, very scrawny, you know, really just the underdog, you know, and that ends up being, you know, better than Saul. So good for us ruddy people uh, where that story goes. But God says to them, he says, all right, but here's what this king's going to want. He's going to want your children to fight for him. Not for you, but for him, really, for his agenda. He's going to want wealth. He's always going to expect that, and it will be at the cost of you as people. He's going to want power, uh, that this king will need something from you. And the king I would offer you will not need anything from you. They will be able to lead you totally selflessly. And they still don't listen, and they still end up going with Saul, and it ends up obviously being a disaster. When left to ourselves, we will want all the things that bring us fulfillment without needing to depend on God. We will want what the world wants. And it seems that the worst place to be in is to say, we aren't like them. We are God's people. Just, you know, give us what they have. Please. When that's the way we feel... And when the real fulfillment comes, we don't want it. We want something else. And so the question is a really simple one. It is this. If the Messiah has come, if the ultimate prophet, priest, king, and the very presence in the image of God himself has been given to us, that we can receive it, that if you believe in the gospel and, and accept it with your heart and you, and you say, I will follow Christ, as most people in this room have said, then you are fulfilled. So the question is, are you fulfilled? Would you say that that describes the way you feel, the way that your life is, the way that you live? Or do you look like every other person who is seeking fulfillment, who wants that. The Bible says that we are jars of clay, we're earthen vessels, that we start out made by very sort of just, we're made by the earth. Uh, And and the point of us is to contain something. And so when we don't have anything in us, then we're just this empty jar of clay. And And that there's all kinds of analogies and metaphors that are drawn from that that we see in the Bible, but it doesn't take a lot of convincing for us to believe this about ourselves, that we are empty at the outset. In fact, even though when we raise children, we emphasize the exact opposite as much as we can. We say, you are enough. You are great just the way that you are. You don't need anything else, or don't worry about what anyone else tells you or anything like that because you're great. In fact, what, what, what the harder a parent seems to try the more a kid is going to say, like, the parent, what they're going to see from their parent more than anything is, is you are the most important thing to me, your parents, and so, so you are great just the way you are. And yet, the older that we get and the more aware we become of our surroundings and ourselves, the more we seem to feel not fulfilled, not complete, but 
just like an empty jar that needs to be filled up with something. And so that's what we do. That's what our life is. It's fulfillment, right? So what is going to give me that sense? In the first century, it was your family. It was the people that you came from. The number one thing that people found fulfillment in was, I am a, I am a son or a daughter of this person and this family. I am, a, I am a sister or brother of this person. I am a grandchild of these people or a niece or nephew or a cousin of these people. I am a, I'm a husband or a wife to this person. I'm a parent to these kids. But I'm still a grandchild and a son or daughter. Families lived multi-generationally in, in, in homes and communities together. You were with your extended family. That was part of, usually, the area where you lived. And so, like, everything revolved around bringing honor to your family or shaming your family, and that being a bad thing. So your fulfillment was in those relationships, first and foremost. So if we, if we feel that way now, in any way, that, that, that we know how they felt at least some piece of it. But now it's much more complicated than just that because, because now it's just as, as fulfilling, it seems, to sort of deny your family and everyone and everything and everything you've come from for the pursuit of something completely different from them. That's actually considered like admirable and brave and courageous as much as it is to be with them and beside them and live amongst them. Now it's not just who I'm a part of in community. It's, it's what I can do, what I'm known for, what I'm gifted in, what I accomplish. It's my job. For, for, for many, uh, life is I, uh, I live to work, right? My life is about what I do. I invest myself in something that is so meaningful to me that I find fulfillment in it. Even though, maybe I don't make a lot of money, even though I work really hard, even though I don't get a ton of sleep, even though I may not even get a lot of appreciation, I work really hard for this thing that I feel fulfilled by. And then there are those who say, no, I, uh, I work to live, right? I don't care what I do, I just, what matters to me is what I do when I get home, what I do on the weekend. I, I don't sweat too much this thing that I do. It's just a way to make life work and life happen for me and my family. And then there is the impossible desire that unfortunately I think most of us have now, which is both, right? Thanks to like like Instagram alone, right? You, you, you can have a fulfilling job and yet everyone seems to be doing really fulfilling things like all the time that are just Fun. And so you go, well, now I should be able to have both of those things. I, I should be able to find fulfillment in what I accomplish, but I also should be able to feel fulfilled every day when I go to bed that that was a really great day on this planet Earth. Regardless of what it is, when fulfillment comes from something else, when you say, I'm filled up as an empty vessel by something, and that's what gives me a sense of meaning and a sense of joy. Then when the Messiah comes along, your response to that will be one of two things. One, you're definitely not what I am fulfilled by. Or two, I'm already filled. And so we have the ability to live lives. Lives where we even would say that Christ is everything to us and yet... Ultimately, we find very little fulfillment in him. The law and the prophets were God speaking to his people. He was guiding them. He was instructing them. He was showing them how to be filled with the right thing. But sadly, it is possible to be technically fulfilled by Jesus, 
without actually feeling that way and experiencing it. You can be a Christian, you can be saved, and not really feel the kind of fulfillment that Christ offers. You read about it in the Bible, you see other people experience it, you go, I don't know, my life's just different. Maybe it's because my life is too hard. Most of us would assume that. We say, if my life was maybe easier, better, or different, if God gave me a different, you know, hand I had been dealt, then it would, it would feel different. But, but, but that's, that's not true. One of the things that comes up a lot over the holiday season, it, it sort of becomes more prominent and we're more aware of it than we are the rest of the year, is the idea of depression. One, because people struggle with it, it seems more. The holidays can bring on more depression for people that struggle with it, and maybe some people that don't, they feel like they're struggling with it. The other, though, is that those who don't struggle with it are much more aware of the family members and the friends that do struggle with depression because everybody's getting together and having a good time, and if a person who's depressed or has depression has a bad day, has a bad season then, it's all the more evident because the circumstances are so positive, right? And if you, if you know anyone, if, if, if anyone in your family or any of your close friends like get depressed like this, they have this sense of basically feeling like the outward circumstances, I don't get the same sense of joy and fulfillment that other people seem to. It just doesn't, it doesn't work on me. It doesn't matter, right? If you have people in your life who, who feel like that, then you'll know that the tendency when you get that way is to, is to isolate yourself. You'll, you, they, people just go away. They go, oh, I'm just, they, they don't want to deal with me. I don't have the energy to deal with them. I just need to ride this out, right? Now, people who really struggle with this uh, will even take their own lives at times because they believe genuinely. They don't want to deal with me, and I, don't, I can't deal with this and with them anymore. And, uh, and so what we tell people is we say, don't do that, don't isolate yourself, don't think that we would, I'd rather you be here bumming me out than not be here at all if that's what you think is gonna happen. But the crazy thing about this idea of being depressed, especially at this time, like the holidays when everyone's so happy, is that your emotions have this ability to override everything else going on in your life. And as a result, you are living your life as though these things don't really exist. Everyone else gets to live their life like they do, but for some reason, the person suffering from this doesn't feel it. This idea of having something, but just really not feeling like the benefit of it, is of any value to you, is exactly what it is like for a person to actually be fulfilled in Christ, but to not feel fulfilled in Christ at all, to not experience that in any way. And I say that because I, I believe it is a distortion of reality. It's not like depressed people, you know, they're, they're right and the rest of us are just like, you know, delusional or something. I, I, I think it's an important thing to understand about it, you know. You're not actually seeing things and able to experience things that, that you should be. I could say this as somebody who's suffered from it myself, that sometimes the only hope will come from knowing this isn't really real, and this is going to pass, and then I will experience again what's real. So this is like a, it's, it's, it's essentially a way that you're living sort of delusionally through not experiencing the things that you have. 
And so what do you do when this is your life? What do you do when you have something, but you don't enjoy having it? That, that you're fulfilled in Christ, but you don't feel fulfilled at all in Christ? Well, the answer, Paul talks about this. And it's the opposite of what most Christians would think is the answer. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul's response is not, throw it all away. If, if, if your fulfillment and your hope is coming from these things that ultimately don't seem to deliver, that will fail every time, then get rid of all of them. Then you'll be fulfilled. That's not Paul's answer. His answer is, set your mind on things that are above. Set your eyes and your sights on Christ himself. Because even if you get rid of all that other stuff, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to experience the fulfillment of Jesus without actually looking at him as much as you can. And this is what Paul is saying to do. He's saying, look at him. Think about him. Think about God and his kingdom and what he promises you as often as you can. And as you do that, you will begin to experience the actual fulfillment that comes from Christ. He says that you've died to yourself and your life is now hidden. That means that outwardly other people, basically it means you're the richest person ever. But when people look at you, they're not going to see a person and say they're the richest person ever. Because outwardly, if anything, you'll look like a person who's given up their life. Who's, who's said, no, I live for something other than myself, which people would be like, well, that's pretty, that's pretty sad. You'll, you'll never experience fulfillment. You'll never experience joy. You'll never experience happiness living that way. He says, but that life is hidden. People can't see it outwardly. And I think that that idea of being hidden is something that a lot of us experience about our own life in Christ as well. It's like, I feel like it's hidden from me. I don't feel like it's just hidden from them. And so what we do is we fix our eyes above as often as we can, as much as we can. The Christian ought to be the person who heads into a season like this already fulfilled, already complete. What should set us apart isn't our ability to celebrate more and bigger, but rather to head into this time fulfilled and complete, knowing that none of the other stuff that now will come is what we need in order to be fulfilled. I mean, it is true that the worst thing about giving your kid a really great present is they will now believe that this thing is the source of all life to them. Without it, they will shrivel up and they will die. But if there's one thing that were to mark believers and followers of Jesus as being different from others, it is that when he arrives, that the response is to say, I have finally received the thing that gives me true fulfillment.
I need nothing else. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else is extra. And if I were to deny all the stuff and I didn't look to Christ, then I wouldn't be any better off than if I had it all and know Jesus. Because the response, says Paul, is to set our eyes upon him, to fix our gaze upon him.